Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who will find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. It's Matthew 10, 34 through 39. The question is not whether you bring peace or a sword, but in whose interests are you wielding your sword? Peace and swords are not mutually exclusive. There is no peace where there is no sword, and swords can be used in the pursuit of peace. But if you want to talk about peace, you have to look at your life and the world in which you live and ask yourself, whose peace am I really helping to establish? Whose peace am I reproducing? How is it that our theologies, our politics as Christians, our ways of being in the world have simply been welcomed into the reproduction of the very evils in which we may safely protest and verbally critique? Before we can meaningfully speak and pursue of an alternative peace for this world, it is crucial Christians start, and especially Christians in the U.S., start to ask ourselves how our politics and beliefs actually reproduce the very systems of death and conditions of agony that we may, in theory, oppose. But I'm not here to talk about peace today. I want to talk about the sword. After 500 years of white supremacy, including the possessing and enslavement of black people, the working and kidnapping and lynching and imprisoning and executing of black bodies, the governing and commanding of black women's sexuality and reproductive power, the ceaseless impoverishment of the overwhelming majority of black people, and the psychological traumatization that comes from living in a world that explicitly and systemically denies you dignity and equality, After 500 years of white terror and supremacy and domination, the question is not whether you bring peace or a sword, but in whose interests are you wielding your sword for? After 500 years of kidnapping and raiding and scalping and hunting indigenous peoples, after 500 years of endless removing and displacing them from their homes and lands and communities, forcing them into concentration camps and prison cells and torture rooms and poverty. After 500 years of stealing their lands, selling them into slavery, breaking treaty after treaty, and then pretending that they do not continue to resist the the United States, the question is not whether you bring peace or a sword, but in whose interests are you wielding your sword for? The terms of the popular violence versus nonviolence discourse, as James Cone pointedly noted, have been defined by oppressors. And I would say the ruling class. It is the ruling white capitalist elite that has written into law and disseminated into influential cultural institutions what is violent and what is nonviolent. But their definitions of violence and nonviolence have not solely coerced us or persuasively manipulated us. No, 
Many of us have willfully accepted and consented to their discourse and to the way in which this world has been organized. We have chosen obedience and conformity. We can't just blame the ruling class. We have to take some responsibility for our faults and our failures and our complicity. And I especially want to name the pastors and theologians and professors in leadership of church institutions who love their power and authority and their comfort, but have failed to speak of and meaningfully pursue liberation. Confession here isn't about making us feel better. It's about getting free from the lies and the systems that reproduce our own oppression and the oppression of others. I think we need to seriously take the power of confession here. Listen, this is what we know. Liberalism and capitalism right now, right, are in crisis. More and more people are losing faith in the system. We are tired. We are exhausted. We are angry. And so some people are swinging right finding the unabashedly racist, sexist, capitalist, and imperialist wing of the U.S. empire very compelling. Others are swinging left, saying these different but interrelated issues that so many people have forever faced are not issues that can be addressed through reform. We are not interested in making the belly of the beast feel a little more comfortable for more and more people. No, we know that the beast must be destroyed so that more life-affirming systems and structures and ways of being in the world can actually become real possibilities. And it's because the ground beneath the feet of neoliberalism in the center is falling out, including excluded peoples and diversifying positions of power and our oppressive and exploitative institutions and structures isn't fundamentally changing anything for the majority of workers, for the majority of persons of color, for the majority of women and queer folk and trans persons. We must refuse to make peace with this system. We must refuse to make nice with its defenders. This system is a racist, capitalist, patriarchal, system, and we must bring a sword to the peace of this long-established ruling class. The logic and the values of the right are an easy target, right? But seriously, goddamn, I am sick and tired of seeing moderate and liberal Christians talk shit on the rebellions. Liberalism has to deny the legitimacy of the rebellions, because if they were to fully acknowledge both the anger and the actions of the people in the streets right now, they would be accepting the condemnation of the world in which they have consented to and the powers to which they have taken sides with. This whole, I get it, their feelings are legitimate, but I can't support violence, is a siding with the police, a siding with white supremacy and capitalism, and a siding with the ruling class. Some folks even have the hubris to suggest that what they believe to be a peaceful protest is a superior, more civilized, more respectable response. How dare those lower peoples destroy private property, physically fight the police and white supremacists, disrupt the peace of the world in which they were comfortably getting by in. We have got to refuse this peace talk and refuse the status quo's definitions of violence and nonviolence. You don't let cops walk in your protests. 
It doesn't matter whether they are nice or mean or white or black or female, the police have a job to do, and it's not serve and protect the interests of this mythical everyone. No, they serve and harass and imprison and kill in the interests of the ruling elite and on behalf of people who have bought into the myth that they are white in the myth of their American exceptionalism. In just three months, over 100,000 people in the U.S. unnecessarily died from the coronavirus. The last thing George Floyd did in this life was fight to get a knee off his fucking neck. The question is not whether you bring peace or a sword, but in whose interests are you using your sword? The destruction wrought by our swords can be symbolic. I'm thinking of the MAGA hat the guy at the grocery store wears. Or when our recent guest, Bree Newsom, tore down the Confederate flag in North Carolina. The disruption wrought by our swords can be direct. I'm thinking of the solitary confinement cells our nation uses and thousands of, the thousands of special operations the U.S. has done in Central and South America and now in Africa. Or when African and African-American slaves overthrew the plantations of their masters and killed them so that they could no longer, never again, whip and rape them. The violence of our swords can be structural, Accepting the reproduction of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and U.S. imperialism is one example. Or we see another example in the revolutions of peoples in Southern and Southeast Asia who fought for their freedom from French, British, and U.S. American regimes. Christian faith must not continue to participate in the reproduction of this racist, sexist, capitalist peace we must begin to wield our swords in the interests of working peoples, of unhoused peoples, of peoples racialized and gendered as inferior, of peoples who are imprisoned, of people who are droned and sanctioned. We must wield our swords for that which is liberative and transformative, for a love that, by any means necessary, pursues the inbreaking of a holy other world. For those who have come to find their life and their meaning in this world and in this system will lose it, Jesus tells us. But those who are willing to lose their life for the sake of freedom and justice and love and rebellion, for those who lose their life in solidarity with those most brutally oppressed, we may just find it. Because Jesus Christ did not come to bring peace to this earth, but a sword.